The evolution of virtual training, the way that we can create intimate cohorts through those types of technologies and platforms has been a complete game changer. Only one in five employees would recommend their organization's learning and development programs. How are we going to build the human skill for the future? What's happening today in learning and development at organizations is not really working for our employees. It doesn't matter where in the world you are. We have the ability to bring people together. Hi, I'm Ellen Bailey, Senior Learning Solutions Manager at Harvard Business Publishing. Hello, and I'm Dahlia Malocchia, Associate Director at Harvard Business Publishing. I'm really excited and looking forward to our conversation about Workforce of the Future and hearing from our experts. We are joined by Marissa Naughton, Associate Director of Marketing and Communications here at Harvard Business Publishing. Marissa leads a lot of our research on leadership and development. And most recently, and what we're most excited about and talking about today, are really about those key learning behaviors. So welcome, Marissa. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Dahlia. Great to be here. So, Marissa, share with us kind of the what and the who around this research. So what really drove this research and then who participated in the survey? Sure. So for the last couple of years at Harvard Business Publishing, we've really been putting in a concerted effort to understand not just our clients, not just L&D, who we serve through our, our solutions and experiences, but to really understand learners themselves. And we've been very lucky that our clients um, and the relationships we have with them have allowed us some access to really talk with their learners, interview their learners, and get a sense for how they approach learning and development every day. So we got an opportunity through a partnership that we've just announced recently with Degreed, whose platform is powering our latest release of Harvard Management or Spark, our personal learner-driven experience that we offer, to do some quantitative survey research into how the workforce learns every day. And so when we got that opportunity, it seemed invaluable to us to participate with them. So we partnered with them on this survey, research they've done uh, a couple of times over the last few years to really understand the behaviors that learners or employees are engaging in every day in terms of learning for their jobs. How often are they doing it? Where are they doing it? And what platforms and ways are they using it? And we did that by putting together a survey of learners themselves. So we did not talk to L&D for this survey. <laughs> so this survey base is made up of employees at all levels of organizations that represent a span of industries globally across the world. So it's a really good, strong base of, of learners. Excellent. And that's a kind of a unique take to really tap into the learners directly. And I'm really interested in what those results were. So what were the biggest, let's say, one or two takeaways that you had from the research? Sure. We did uncover a few things that um, confirmed some ideas that we already had going into it, but also quite a few surprises um, and exciting opportunities that this this data presents for L&D and how we think about going into the future of, of our learning programs. The biggest takeaway, and again, maybe not so much of a surprise, was what's happening today in learning and development at organizations is not really working for our employees. We asked the NPS score question, it was one of the first questions we asked, which asked them to rate their level of satisfaction 
uh, with their learning and development organizations. Excellent. So describe what an NPS score is for sure. us. The NPS score is called the Net Promoter Score, and many organizations are using it in lots of different ways to help them understand really where their customer satisfaction is. And it's a very simple question. It asks users or, or survey takers to rate whatever the piece is that they're rating on a scale of 1 to 10. So how satisfied are you on a scale of 1 to 10 with in this case, your organization's learning and development programs. And the answers are broken up then into those who are active promoters of their programs. And those are usually folks who are rating it a 9 or a 10. So they really, really, really are satisfied. Detractors are on the other end. And there's a group in the middle who we call passives. And you can you compute your NPS score basically subtracting the number of detractors from the number of promoters. And it goes anywhere on a scale with, from negative 100 all the way up to 100. So when we ask this question of learners at all of these organizations around the world, how satisfied are you? The number we got was not great. It turned out that it had an NPS of negative 25%, which translates in more layman's terms to one in five employees would recommend their L&D programs, uh, are satisfied with their L&D programs. That's a bit unsettling. And while I would think it maybe wouldn't be as high as I anticipated, I'm a little surprised that it's one in five. Well, we I think we are, too. We didn't think this number would be high. Um, and we did take a look at it. And we can talk a little bit more about what sorts of differences we saw in terms of where you are in the organization, was there a difference in your NPS score if you are an individual contributor versus someone in the C-suite, for example? And there were. NPS got better as you went further up the chain of command, but it still didn't get, it still wasn't particularly strong. Um, so what it told us is that what is currently happening in L&D organizations, as I said, it's not working. There's an old value chain that is in place where most L&D organizations are structured around learning opportunities that are occasional, um, scheduled, structured. You know, they fit into a capability model. They're given certain times of year. They're done in a certain way. And what this data showed us is that that value chain is starting to, to crack a little bit. It's not working. And it's giving way to a new value chain that learner behavior is, is kind of driving for us, which is one that is much more personalized, self-directed, and every day. And that's the one of the biggest, the second biggest takeaway I would say that we got from this survey is that learners are learning for work. Work-related, career-driven learning is happening every single day at organizations. And there's a huge opportunity for L&D to leverage there. I completely agree, Marissa. That is definitely a huge opportunity for L&D to leverage, you know, what the data is telling them and, and, and really rethink their, their entire learning strategy. Um, we're hearing a lot about skills, actually. Can you share what your findings are from the research on skills development? So some of the research out there says that we know that upskilling is a huge challenge for organizations. In fact, there's some data. It's not our data, but um, the global CEO survey from uh, PwC that they did this year says that eight in 10 CEOs think that lack of key skills is the biggest challenge facing their organizations. So we know that there is a real drive here. There's some really good news, though, that we got out of this survey and a couple of more challenging pieces that L&D is going to need to address. But 
there were two really good themes that came out of this. And the first theme that we want to talk about is that the workforce learns with purpose and autonomy. And so the first thing that we we uncovered under that theme is that we have a very self-aware workforce, which is great. They know what they need to learn, or they feel confident, I should say, that they know what they need to learn, and they know what's in it for them to commit the time to doing it. So we asked them a number of questions around what's, you know, about their knowledge of their skill gaps. And the great news is, is that 90% of participants said that they know what skills they need to perform better in their current role. 85% said they know where their skill gaps are today. 82% said that they know what skills they need to advance their careers. So we've got a really self-aware workforce. They understand that they've got stuff that they need to learn, and they're expressing some interest in doing it. They are a little less confident, and this is where that challenge piece comes in, about their manager's awareness of those skill gaps. So only 66% agreed that their managers know what skills they currently have, and only 40% felt that their managers knew the skills that they needed to advance their careers. Wow. such a delta in, mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, and and we can we can talk a little bit more about that because it is a challenge. So obviously there's a gap that needs to be bridged there and and one of the ways that organizations I think can do that is through some additional guidance. But the other good thing that we came up with this data is that the workforce also decides where they learn. So this is getting back to that purpose and autonomy. So we we talked a little bit or I mentioned this new value chain about personal and self-directed and all the time. And so we asked, as part of the survey, we asked them around where they go, where do employees go when they need to learn something? And we saw a real hierarchy start to emerge among uh, resources that we classified as personal, then social, and organizational. And what we found is that overwhelmingly, employees are going to what we call personal resources first, specific websites like Harvard Business Review or YouTube or websites that they've already put their, you know, deemed as, as their own sources of trust that they value. 65% of people are going to those in, in some capacity every day. Uh, internet search engines, another one, 53%. So then after that, we go into the, the are the so, what we call social categories. So professional networks, my manager or mentor, my team or my peers inside my company, my online social networks. 62% are going to professional networks, 45% to managers, 40% to teams and peers. So it's only after those two categories did any of the what we call organizational resources or locations come up. Like 37% my companies, I check my company's learning portal or learning systems. 26% my company's HR or L&D team. 18% my company's social or messaging tools. So again, they're accessing those sources that are frequent and available every day. And there's their social networks before they get to what their organizations are providing to them. And I will say there's lots of reasons why, probably, if we could dive into about why organizational resources are a little bit less frequently accessed. But it does come down to a lot of ways that value chain of the old value chain of occasional and structured versus personal, self-directed and everyday. Those are shockingly low numbers, Marissa. I mean, you know, 18%. So why do you think, why are they going first to their external 
resources, you know, the ones that haven't been vetted by the organization or L&D mm-hmm. um, before going to, to the internal resources that they have available at their fingertips. Well, I think there's a lot of reasons for that, Dahlia. And one of the it kind of gets us into really the second theme that popped up for us out of this research. And I think where the greatest opportunity for L&D teams lies is around the workforce wanting guidance on what to learn. And so it comes down to what they trust and what they find the most engaging and compelling. And it's clear that their personal preferences drive that, their social networks drive that. But we found that they really are looking for guidance. So even though they're learning with purpose and autonomy, it, it doesn't mean that they don't want some help. And so we asked learners a number of op- about a number of options that would make their learning opportunities more relevant. And they responded in a way that says that they could really use some help making good, smart choices among all of the content and all of the learning that they have available in the world, really, what the organization provides as well as what they're getting on their own. 61% cited that aligning learning to their gaps would be the most helpful thing to make learning more relevant for them. 48% said assessments to find out where they need improvement. And 42% said providing opportunities to apply what I've learned. So it's really clear that there's an opportunity here for L&D to leverage skills I think they already have, but to play the role of facilitator and motivator. Learners are asking for this, and I think there's an opportunity here for them to do that. And understanding learner behaviors is really one of the ways to get at that. So you talked about learners needing help to make smarter choices, but you also talked about how they want to learn and and that it all, you know, needs to be relevant, needs to be uh, applicable in the flow of work. Um, What do you think L&D need to do to really enable uh, learning to take place within the organization? I guess as we're listening to this data, what is this data telling the audience or uh, our L&D professionals? Well, uh, it's a great question, and I think it's clear from the data that we have that people want that guidance, but they don't feel like currently in this current value chain that they're getting it. So we asked them about what biggest obstacles they had to learning, and, you know, of course, the top response, as it always is, is is time. You know, we have to acknowledge that everybody cites time as their biggest obstacle or barrier to learning, but right underneath time, tied at 30% each was the biggest obstacle that they cited was lack of guidance or direction in learning. My company doesn't recognize or reward learning and then quickly followed up at 22% with my manager doesn't encourage or enable learning, which we already heard <laughs> a few minutes ago, the first that there's a real challenge there. So there is, there's a real challenge going on in terms of, of being able to to provide that level of guidance that learners are really looking for at their organizations. And one of the things that I think is really, really interesting about this data is we did a little bit of a deep dive into, if you remember, I said at the beginning that we asked the NPS score and that it's really low, but we thought, wouldn't it be interesting if we could take a deep dive into who the promoters actually are? So as long as you're familiar with NPS, we've got promoters, passives, and detractors. There were promoters. Let's look at what the promoters, let's look at their behavior. Let's see what they're doing. Right. Um, What did you find out? Yeah. And what we found out is that there's We have to assume that promoters are at organizations that are getting this right in some way, that have started the shift maybe in some way in the value chain to offering more personal and self-directed learning. Um, And we're finding that promoters 
are creating more efficient learning operations at your team. So promoters were accessing learning through their organizational tools far more often than detractors or passives are, right? So when we dove in, promoters were 2.3 times more likely to invest their time in company-provided resources, right? They were 3.9 times more likely to consult their HR, L&D teams. They were 2.4 times more likely to use their company's learning portals or learning systems. And 13% fewer promoters were going outside of their organizations compared to detractors. So it was 46% of promoters were spending time going outside of their organizational tools, um, while 59% of detractors do. So when you're getting this right, your employees are using the systems that you're putting in place and they're getting that contextualized learning that you, you really want them to get. We also found that promoters are performing better, right? So there was a 10% increase in promoters over detractors that they've been promoted, right? So 46% of promoters were promoted as opposed to only 36% of detractors. They're more adaptable, so they're moving into other teams at higher rates than detractors are. And they're staying longer. They're staying at your organization. So when we looked at this, 24% of detractors had left for a new company, but only 19% of promoters have. So there's real, real value in, in thinking about your workforce as an amplifier of the impact that learning can have at your organization, right? If you are putting some of these things in place, you have a more effective L&D organization, you have a more aligned L&D organization, you have a more efficient L&D organization, which um, obviously leads you to a more skilled, engaged, and productive workforce, which obviously leads you to where your CEO wants <laughs> is a more impactful and stronger bottom line. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing, Marissa, those really key three imperatives. And I'll just summarize here. You know, as L&D professionals, we really need to be thinking about how we remove obstacles by making learning more accessible and personal for our employees. And then secondly, we really need to help improve the connections between our learners, the managers, and the L&D team, right? So how do we make that a little bit tighter? And then lastly, I would say the making employees feel empowered in their own learning. So since these employees of those promoters are actually going to their websites already as far as the learning resources that they have at their organization, how do we continue to drive that will and that empowerment for those learners as well? Samantha Hammock when we'll refer to her as Sam, is the Chief Learning Officer at American Express. In this role, she really works to enable talent readiness for all phases and careers to drive business performance throughout the organization. Sam is really responsible for the holistic leadership and learning strategy, the design, and the execution across the enterprise. Sam is really passionate about driving these business outcomes through people with strategic development and the innovative channels in which to execute. Sam has 20 years of experience in the L&D space, and we are really excited to have her share with us how American Express has changed their approach to leadership development to really advance their leaders, as well as hearing from her about lessons learned throughout this process. Welcome, Sam. Thank you for having me. Sure. We're really happy to have you here today so we can learn more about what American Express is doing to really help your leaders prepare for the future. Your approach to learning and leadership development has changed significantly at American Express over the last few years. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what leadership means at American Express? 
Absolutely. So um, you are correct. We have definitely changed the way that we view leadership development at American Express. What we haven't changed, though, is how much value we put on leadership. So we have really prided ourselves on a place that continues to grow great leaders and truly invest in that. Where we have shifted a little bit in our views of leadership development over the last couple of years, and it helps that we've had an amazing catalyst of a CEO change over a year ago, who brought forth kind of this notion that we really believe leadership is for all. It is not just for the top of the house, and it is not just for those who are people leaders. We believe that everyone has a role in leadership, and how do we really push that agenda through and create consistent leadership behaviors? And one of the most, I think, critical things that our CEO, Steve Squeary, did when he became um, the CEO in early 2018 was he pushed out a brand new approach to leadership. He published a leadership model for American Express and specific leadership behaviors, 10 of them. Not too many, not too few, but these behaviors were how we expect all colleagues to operate and lead at American Express. It drove consistency and it drove some equality around the democratizing of leadership. And it really helped give us that anchor to go out globally to all of our colleagues at American Express. That's excellent. Thank you very much. So as you are going out globally and you really are wanting everybody to enhance their capabilities regarding these leadership behaviors, I'm assuming then that you're accessing or utilizing more of a virtual approach? Absolutely. One of the things that we are cognizant of, this is not unique to American Express, but as we look at the changing workforce and the future of work, you know, People are everywhere. And guess what? We want our colleagues everywhere, right? It is not the way that it used to be where everyone was centralized in a few standard hub offices, right? We have people now in well over 35 different countries across the globe. Many are in office hubs, but also like our fastest growing population are those who are virtual. And so as we think about leadership being for all and really having that consistent measure of leadership across all of our colleagues, you need a way to kind of distribute that. And so for us, you know, getting that broad brush stroke off of the base of colleagues, it was really important for us to leverage a virtual model. There really is no other way to do that. Um, one, it would be expensive, but beyond budget, you know, for us, and I'm certainly seeing this as consistent across industries and other companies as well, you know, time is the most luxurious commodity that we have. Mm -hmm. So it's not even just about how costly it is to, to fly people in for face-to-face -face training, which um, does still have a place, but it's just not near as common or effective as, as I think we, it used to be. But time, people do not have the time to travel and spend a week off the job um, in a consolidated way to do bring that together. And so for us, virtual has truly been the answer. Um, and the evolution of virtual training, the, the advancement in the technologies, the way that we can create intimate cohorts through those types of technologies and platforms has been a complete game changer. And has really allowed us 
to effectively change, to, to effectively train our colleagues in what does leadership mean, and also it allows them to practice it with their own peers. Excellent. Thank you very much, Sam. I, I really like particularly the comment about being able to get to everybody in a timely manner, you know, and then thinking about how we're making the best use of their time. So how can we get great learning experiences out to these folks in a timely manner and also being very cognizant of their time as well, knowing that everyone is crazy busy by utilizing technology and the different platforms that we have. It just makes sense, right? It's like this is a very efficient and effective way to help enhance our leaders' capabilities. So that's great. Thank you. So now that you've been using this virtual approach for a while, Sam, what do you feel is really working? So one thing that we find is working is the ability to meet anybody where they are, right? It doesn't matter where in the world you are, <laughs> that we have the ability to bring people together. The other thing that we have found is working is because we're able to create cohorts in these things, we're creating really powerful networks of colleagues who would have never met each other otherwise. And so we're able to mix up like, you know, various business groups, various markets and locations and various colleagues across the globe in general. We're now finding an added value of this virtual notion the ability for our colleagues are now connecting and driving productivity in ways that they wouldn't outside of even the learnings from our programs, but what they're learning from each other. And so that has been a huge benefit for us because if we were to have not done this virtually and we were to do this in a more face-to-face traditional manner, we would have pulled people together just in their existing market or in their existing line of business, right? Working with the people that they may have already known. So a huge advantage of being able to deploy global virtual programs is to allow to create cohorts and networks with colleagues that you may not have previously known. And the power of that has been tremendous. Absolutely fascinating, Sam. I mean, it sounds like such a powerful proposition. And of course, you know, there's this whole notion of leadership for, for all, for all the colleagues. I think that is uh, is tremendous. And it's great to hear you talk so passionately about what you're doing at American Express. Um, so could you mind just sharing uh, a little bit more about how did you actually get that program off the ground? Because I know that, that the initial goal was to really get um, 16,000 leaders through the American Express and Harvard Certificates and Leadership Excellence program in about two years. Is that correct? That is correct. And we're at that two-year mark and we have done it. <laughs> Fantastic. (laughs) But your, your notion of like, well, how do you get it off the ground? This is probably the question we get asked the most. And I will say it is the most critical Um, because once you're in the ground, once you're running the program, if you've kind of, you've curated the design, you understand the program, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to sustain. And so one piece of advice, I think that was really the ability for us to be able to move is sometimes you have to go slow to go fast. And so that's been kind of our mantra on how we got this off the ground. Stakeholder management was absolutely critical. So how we did that was we kind of did the notion of, 
you know, you, you can't be successful on your own, right? So we couldn't just internally in my team with the L&D team design this and just mandate we're going to push it out, right? We could have, but I don't think we would have seen the success and quite frankly, the champion of this from all of our colleagues, right? Uh, because one thing that we use as a great success measure, and we've told this story before, but um, when we finally did spend the time and the, do the right actions to get it off the ground, when we launched, we sold out our first cohort, which was about just over 5,000 colleagues with how many spots we opened up. We, I call it sold out. It filled up in less than an hour globally. <laughs> we had a waiting list of thousands. So how do you get to that point? The point to lead up to that, to drive that type of success was really important in how we thought about getting it off the ground. First of all, for us, the importance was we wanted people to find value in this. We wanted to create that excitement and we wanted to have brand recognition. And so part of that was choosing the right partner, right? We wanted that global brand recognition, the power and value in what we're creating and offering. We also wanted our colleagues to feel like it was building them and making them marketable, right? Whether that's marketable internally, whether it's marketable externally, we wanted them to feel like this was a huge thing and an investment in their career and their own development. And so choosing the right partner, choosing the, the content, was really important, but bigger than that was the stakeholder management. So we, we started with the top of the house with our CEO. We started with our executive committee talking about the importance of this, what we stood for as a company. And quite frankly, we talked a lot about the future of work, right? In which we believe, um, we believe leadership is a huge piece of that. How are we going to build the human skill for the future? Right? As tech continues to change rapidly, we know the skills behind those are going to constantly change and it's got to become part of our mindset and part of how we work. Human skills are going to continue to be a huge sought after commodity as we do kind of a progress upon the future of work. And our executive committee and our senior leadership team believed in the power of that as well. And so that's where we kind of st we started at the top of the house, getting them on board, creating advocates and creating champions out of what we wanted to do um, and spreading that word. So communication and marketing of this was really important, as well as the appropriate needs analysis across the globe, across businesses to ensure, are we going to be delivering based on the needs of what we're hearing in the business and the needs of that look into the future. Thank you so much for sharing that, Sam. I think uh, the audience will really appreciate you sharing what you've learned and how you're really approaching leadership development at American Express. And I wonder if you could perhaps share one or two key takeaways uh, for the audience and which you think L&D needs to adapt to really meet the needs of the future of workforce that you talked about earlier. So what, what are the, the two or three things that you think uh, your audience need to hear from you about how they can really adapt to the future of work? Yeah, so I think regardless of what industry in, where in the world that you're sitting, I do think those human skills, those leadership capabilities that you build in your workforce, regardless of what you do and how you make money is going to be critical for how you think of a development of the future. Those people skills, those human skills, those leadership capabilities 
absolutely important. So we will continue to double down on that um, as we think about the future of work, right? Um, and how do we think about our, our talent and the growth of our business and the delivery of our goals? Another key piece that I would say is, is really important is understanding the company's overall goals or strategic imperatives. Right? So my development investment needs, and I would recommend this for everybody, you have to be able to see a clear connection of what you are developing and how it will impact and contribute to the strategic imperatives of your overall company. And so for us, that is really, really important. And you can see the synergies behind one, as I talked about, the leadership capabilities. And for us, that's our leadership behaviors. How are those specific ones driving and delivering against the, the results that we need um, on our business and company goals? So that's one. But then you would get into a, what I would call like the, now we get a little more specific around the required skills for the future. And you can start to see, again, it should directly link in. But one thing that we're seeing as we think about the future of work, and right, I, there must be at least four to five different articles a day published on the future of work and what it means for talent. <laughs> so you can run the gamut and get very overwhelmed very quickly. Um, but this is, you know, something that we're kind of trying to be a little bit more laser focused and strategically intentional about is, as we think about those skills of the future, what are the ones that we see truly cut across the enterprise, right? So there certainly are skills that are going to be really specific for a role to be successful or very specific in terms of what a a function needs to do to deliver. And it may be specific to that function or that role. And that's really important um, to make sure that you get right. But for us, there's also the skills that we're noticing are cutting across the entire company, right? So for example, data literacy is, is critical right now. It used to be you would maybe only see that in one or two different business groups, um, and they would have all of it as, a, as one single COE or one single function delivering that for the company. But now you're seeing some of these what may have been considered like either functionally specific or pretty tech-specific skills, you're seeing them in every business. Right, And so as we're looking at that, where do we see kind of an enterprise advantage of creating and building the skills in almost virtually all talent um, that cut across those? And so certainly things like data, things like um, AI, right? Like all of these are, are potentially skills that we're looking at. How do we stay on top of and deliver for the future of work that is going to deliver against um, the strategic imperatives for the company that I mentioned previously. Sam, absolute delight to have you with us today. Thank you so much for, for being so generous with your time and, and with for sharing uh, just exactly what you're doing at American Express. Thank you very much. Absolutely, my pleasure.